So we have the start of Ephesians, which is all about the gospel, all about what God's done, what he's made brand new. And then David told us this transition where it focuses on the Trinity, on the beauty of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that beautiful perichoresis, that dance they do, and where we enter into that. And now Paul then goes from this point, and he starts telling us now, how now shall we live? How now shall we live knowing the gospel, knowing the truth that we've been called into through Jesus Christ? So today I'm going to be taking it from verse 17 in chapter 4 to verse 24. So you can watch on the screen or you can open up your Bibles and follow along with me. Paul says, So I tell you this and insist on on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separate from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we we just thank you so much for your word and we thank you for the insight that you gave Paul. This insight into putting off the old self and putting on the new. God, would you open our hearts and our minds to receive your truth today? Lord, will you help me preach this? And may they not look to me, but may they look to you, the only one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Who likes buying a whole new outfit of clothes? You go out, you buy a whole new outfit, you get the top, the jacket, the pants, the shoes. How does that make you feel? makes you feel like a new person, right? It makes you feel different. You sort of walk around, you're like, I'm looking all right. I'm looking good. I feel good about this. It gives you confidence, right? There's something about putting on something new that gives you that confidence. I remember when I was in year six, we had a year six formal. And it was the late, late 80s. I think it was around 88 or 89. And um, I, it was so funny. I thought, I'm going to go to our formal in an all-white suit. Like on white jacket, white shirt, white pants, white shoes. It was like the 80s, right? White was in. <laughs> Looked like I was playing cricket, to be honest. But I thought I was rocking it. Like I had pure blonde white hair. Like I was just white all over. And I was feeling great. But then you look at our old clothes. Think about your old clothes. You'll walk around the house and you don't care if people see you in it. You go and out in the garden and you'll do the gardening because you don't care if it gets dirty. If you've got painting to do. You'll go do that in your old clothes, right? Because you don't care. You don't care. We don't care if our old clothes get dirty. This is the same with the old life or the life before knowing God. You know, I didn't care about my sin or how dirty it was making me. But now I've put on Jesus and his righteousness. My dirtiness, my sin, it's an issue and it stains this perfect white suit that Jesus has given me. You see, in Ephesus... This is what Paul is trying to tell or teach the Ephesians, that this is not a lofty idea, but this letter is written to people living in a real city, struggling with how to live as a Christian in a culture 
that was at total odds to Jesus' teaching and at total odds with the kingdom of God. So Paul's addressing real-life struggles here, real issues for Christians in Ephesus. And Ephesus was, was a place that was really hard to live as a Christian. You know, some people writing about Ephesus labeled it the most lewd and wicked city in Asia Minor. Now, Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey. It was the western coast of that. You'll see on the screen, this is a temple of Artemis. This is the main temple there. It's a reconstruction, or well, they didn't reconstruct it, but that's a picture of what it would have looked like. And it basically functioned as a stronghold of wickedness. It was full of prostitutes, sexual perversion, full of evil practices that God hates. And Artemis herself was known as a sex goddess. And she was served by thousands of these temple prostitutes that would actually walk the streets and entice people into that sexual immorality and this idol worship. And that temple there was even the centre for art and culture. It was the centre for the banking system. It wasn't just a religious centre. And so what would happen is it would draw all of society into this place where wickedness, where sexuality and idol worship was the norm. Lastly, that temple itself was a place where if you were a criminal, if you had done any sort of heinous crime, it didn't matter what it was, you could find refuge there. They would find that would be a sanctuary where a criminal, no matter what they'd done, couldn't get prosecuted, couldn't get arrested. And so this was the epicenter of power, of money, of sex, of pride, of wickedness, the centre of culture for the whole area. A 5th century Greek philosopher, I'm going to get his name right, wrong, Herodotus. Herodotus? I can't say it anyway. You, yeah, anyway. He wrote about Ephesus and he actually said, it is the darkness of vile itself. Their morals are lower than animals and the inhabitants of Ephesus are only fit to be drowned. This is a guy who lived in the area. That's what he said about the culture. And the reason why I tell you this is because when we think about people who are converted to the gospel of Jesus in Australia, we think about people who just want to go to heaven, right? That just want a, a better life, free from persecution. But in Ephesus, they were vile. They were sexually immoral. They were violent. Many of these people who came to faith were criminals. So for them to accept Jesus as Lord and to follow the way of the kingdom of God would have been so confronting. It would have been a massive change in life. Their life would have been totally different and they would have had to have lived so countercultural than what was going on around them. And if they did follow Jesus, you know what? They would have stuck out like a sore thumb. They would have been so countercultural that everyone would have known that they're Christian. And you know what? That would have brought persecution. The question is, do people know we're Christian? Are we so countercultural in our work environment, among our friends, with our family, that they would know that we're followers of Jesus without us telling them? You see, Paul is concerned here about this issue of hypocrisy. Paul is saying, look, you confess Jesus as Lord, you claim to know the truth, that must show up in your life. Like, if you grasp the gospel and understand your position in Christ, then you can't possibly live any longer like you did before, like the culture around you. It's the same with us here today in Christianity, in, in Kulangata. Christianity cannot be an idea, an ideal, or a label. It must flow into how we live our lives, countercultural to the opposite of the world. We live in the kingdom of God. And much of the slack that we actually cop as Christians is valid. Because many Christians profess Jesus but live like the culture around us. We can be hypocrites, right? 
Because we're just as good at sexual immorality. We're just as good at hating people. We're just as good at violence, of greed, of anger, of jealousy, of unforgiveness and impure living. Sometimes there's actually no difference in the way a professing Christian lives compared to a non-Christian. In fact, sometimes the non-Christians live a more ethical life than we do. A modern-day writer and philosopher wrote, I hated religion because he was a Christian preaching one thing on Sunday versus how he was actually living. That was Jay-Z 444 Legacy album. (laughs) All the young people know. It was meant to be a joke, kind of fell flat. Jay-Z's just a rapper, right? He's not a philosopher. But he sees this hypocrisy, right? This is the issue for the Ephesians in this text. It's the main issue for us to the church. People are rejecting Jesus because some Christians are indistinguishable from the culture we live in. And some of our behavior is even worse than the culture we live in. So what Jesus and Paul longs for the church in Ephesus and for us to understand is, what is it? What is it from this text he wants us to understand? Well, there's two points here. I want to pull out for you today. One is, don't live like the pagans. Put off the old self. And secondly, live out your new identity in Christ. Put on the new self. So let's start with verse 17, where it talks about not living like the old self, putting off the old self. So I tell you this, and I insist on in the Lord, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of thinking, they're darkened in their understanding, they're separate from the life of God, because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and full of greed. So he says, put off the old self. In these verses, in 17 to 19, Paul gives us a description of the old self, the old way of life, or the way of life of a person who doesn't actually know God. Paul mentions six layers of corruption here, six things that that pull us apart, that destroy us, and make us utterly utterly unacceptable to God and without hope. First, he says in verse 18 that the root problem is the hardness of our heart. You know, I spoke on this a few weeks ago, what a hard heart means here, but the word is translated that's translated hardened is a Greek word for petrified or callous. That means something that was once soft and living over time becomes dead and hard. When you remove God from your values and your thinking, your heart becomes ever increasingly hardened. Hardened towards God and hardened towards the truth of God. The second thing is this hardness against God darkens our understanding. You see, when you're ignorant of God, or in other terms, you reject God and His love, then your heart becomes blinded. Your understanding becomes darkened to the truth. You can't receive that truth. The result of this darkening is a gross ignorance of of reality. You see, even if I have three doctrinal degrees, if I know 10,000 amazing facts that no one else knows, if I'm ignorant, if I don't know the divine meaning or the purpose of life, how do those facts make a difference? How do those facts make a difference to my life, to my eternity, to people around me? We can gain everything and have nothing. Fourth, being ignorant of the true values of things in relationship to God and eternity. Like if I yield naturally, I will yield naturally to covetousness and wickedness. That is, my desires to go after the wrong things or do about it the wrong way. None of my desires, none of my desires in this state have proper relationship to God and therefore they're all ruined. This leads to the fifth place, to a life of futility. You see, nothing 
of any eternal significance is accomplished. If we're, life is one big sort of this ash heap of weeks and years, it's like if we're not in service to God, if we don't know God, it's all meaningless in the end. It's like someone who works to build houses in a housing estate. And he builds all of these houses and then the owner comes along and just demolishes a lot because he didn't go off the plans. It was all a waste because he didn't follow the divine maker, the divine plans. And this is only futility in the end without God. And the sixth layer is of our corruption and the one that seals our hopelessness with, without some mighty work of salvation. It's mentioned in verse 18, we're alienated from the life of God. You see, your hardness and darkness and ignorance and wickedness and futile behavior are the marks of someone who is dead, who is dead in their sins. Paul already told us earlier in Ephesians, he said, you're alienated from God, which is you're dead in your trespasses and sin in Ephesians 2. And in Ephesians 3, he says, having no hope and without God in the world. You see, without God, it doesn't matter what we do, we are lost and without hope. You see, our culture is like a factory. It's like producing, and it's producing this condition in the human heart. Think about the old life. The life without God, it's like a factory. What does a factory do? People come into the factory, materials come into the factory, and out the other end, what comes out? A product and waste. That what goes through the factory comes out a product and waste. We live in a culture in the Western world that's funneling everyone into this factory and what's being produced. There's a product and there's waste. But the problem, the tragedy is, the product is overconsumption and the waste is our lives. You see, human beings are the waste product. Everything is, is, is geared to enslave you. Everything is geared to entice you, to make you consume, to make you look to your own interests your own desires, everything is geared for you to indulge in your sinful desires to the destruction of your soul. You see, in all of our advancements, in all of our increase in knowledge, the world is becoming more and more a place where humans are the waste products of our culture. Like mental health is on the rise, inequality is on the rise, murder is on the rise, corruption is on the rise, and it, it all leaves what in their wake? People. And this is the futility of their thinking that if we just get what we want, if we just feed our desires and get more stuff, then we'd be more happier. That is futile thinking because it's all because of you. It's all about you and it's void of God. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? You can feed all those desires as much as you like. You can get everything you've ever desired. Power, money, sex, you can get it all. But Jesus says, what good is it? In the end, if you forfeit your very soul. And when your hearts become hard you and your understanding darkened, you're no longer actually sensitive to the things of God. Like God gives us a conscience. He's calling us to him all the time, but we're no longer sensitive to goodness or righteousness, but only inwardly focused to the detriment of others of you yourself and others around you, ultimately detriment to your soul. It's this ever-increasing turning in of the heart upon itself to the point where your mind and heart are absolutely oblivious to the selfishness and the wickedness of your actions. They become spiritually and morally numb 
And it's given themselves over this sensuality and every kind of impurity. This is the old way. It's like our Christians are called to give our bodies, our minds, and our spirits to God in worship. What Paul's saying here is they offer their minds, their bodies, and their spirits to immorality. This is the way the people of Ephesus in their sexual immorality, their violence, and all sorts of evil practices. And this lifestyle, it produces this inward focus. This is the pagan, godless way of life. The pagan, godless way of thinking. This is the old way of life, how we lived before, before coming to Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit. Paul is so strong in his charge of the Christians here. He says in verse 17, I tell you this, and insist on in the Lord. He's not mucking around. Often when we read the Bible and we're like, we read it in a nice little you know, voice of, I insist on, please. And he's like, I insist on in the Lord that we must no longer, must no longer live as the Gentiles do. He's like, stop it. Stop it. Stop being a hypocrite. Stop engaging in the things that Jesus has set you free from. Christians cannot live like everyone else, full stop. We can't say we're a follower of Jesus if your life hasn't changed, it's coming to faith. Paul's questioning the validity of their, of their salvation, and he's questioning ours too. Like sometimes we need to read these scriptures as though it's talking directly to me and you. And if I'm honest, I don't get this right all the time. I'm not perfect. I need to repent. I need to know Jesus more. I need to get closer to him. I get sucked in by the culture. You know, I often sit with some people through pastoral conversations, and there's two different kinds of people. There's people that don't want to follow Jesus, and they'll tell me all the things they're doing, and I'll say, well, what does Jesus say about that? What does the Bible say? And they go, I don't care, because they want to engage in stuff. And I worry, because I worry about the salvation, because I worry that there's no conviction of the Holy Spirit. And there's other people that sit with me and say, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this, but I know it's not good. I know the Holy Spirit's convicted me. I need some help. And I'm like, great. That's awesome because God can work with that. The Holy Spirit's moving. He's calling you to put on the new self. The question is, why do Christians devote to this old way? Because it's comfortable, right? Because it fulfills our, it feeds our sinful desires. Because the old, old way is focused on ourselves and our selfishness. Because we can fit into culture and not stick out. Because we default the old way of life because it's an easy way to live in our culture. It's easy to go along with the flow of everyone else instead of swimming against the tide, right? But we need to learn a new way. We need to new attitudes. We need a new mind and a new heart. Every one of us is in that old condition until the light of the gospel, the glory of Jesus Christ breaks in and it melts that hardness. It dispels the darkness and it unites us to the life of God and makes us new creatures through faith in Jesus. Guys, we don't need more stuff. We don't need more knowledge. We don't need to feed our desires anymore. We need Christ. We need to be transformed in our mind and our thinking. We need a new heart. And this is where Paul goes with the second part of this passage. He goes on, put on the new self. In verse 20, he says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the spirit of your minds and to put on a new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What's Paul saying here? 
He's saying when we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to you, it wasn't just come and get your free ticket to heaven. He's saying you were taught repentance from sin. You were taught to follow Jesus, to take up your cross daily. You were taught to live in the truth that God hates sin and we should no longer walk in it. You were taught that now in Jesus Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit to help us walk in righteousness and power and love and truth. Jesus just didn't give you a free ticket to heaven, but you're now a son and daughter of God. You are members of Christ now. You're meant to walk in a new identity. Please get that, church. You are not children of wrath. You are children of God. You have a brand new identity. You've been made brand new. And we are disciples of Christ. We should live like it. Jesus is our teacher. Often people say to me, I need to be disciple," And I agree with that. We are commissioned to disciple one another. But do you know, we have the greatest teacher ever. Jesus. You want to be discipled? Go to Jesus. Go to the secret place. Pray to him. Ask him to disciple you. Get into his word. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind by Christ himself. He is the greatest teacher. Better than any of us. We go to him. And that's where we are this morning. In verses 20 to 24, the teaching of Jesus for Christians that have been given a new eternal life within. And they're now disciples of Christ, waiting and eager to be taught how to live by him. No longer in the old way of life and the futility of their minds, but like new creatures whose lives are full of meaning, hope and joy. You see, through us putting our faith in Jesus' death, burial and resurrection, we are recreated. Everything is brand new. Everything. That's the whole point of Jesus coming to die for us. It wasn't just to get a ticket in heaven. Sin was the problem, right? Every one of us have sinned. None of us can stand before God and go, I'm good. So Jesus comes in the form of man. He walks out the law perfectly. He is sinless and he goes to the cross and he takes upon himself the sin of the entire world. That anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus just goes to heaven. No, that's not the message of the gospel. That anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus is made a brand new creation. A brand new person. Salvation is not an improvement process for our old self. It's a total transformation. It's a total recreation into something new. I love the first three chapters of Ephesians because it tells us all these things that are new for us as Christians through the gospel. Here's the list. You have a new mind, a new will, a new heart, a new inheritance, a new power, a new knowledge, a new wisdom, a new perception, a new understanding, a new righteousness, a new love, a new desire, a new citizenship, a new family, a new brother and a new father, a new eternal destination, a new life in Christ. New, new, new. Everything has been made new now. Not by your self-improvement program, but by God in Jesus Christ for you. Put off the old self and actually put on your new identity. That's who you are now. You are brand new. That's why I love baptism. I love baptism. It's such an image of the beauty of dying. You are buried with Christ. When you go under that water, the old man is dead. Your sin is dead. And when we come up again, we are raised again with Christ Jesus to a new life, to a whole new creation. You're given new will, a new desire, a new spirit, and a new heart. The old person is dead. And the new person is a new bundle of attitudes and emotions and practices that Jesus called us to become in his power. 
And you're probably sitting there thinking, asking, how do I live a life like a new creation in Jesus? What in the world am I supposed to do? Well, verse 24 says, put on the new person. But how do you put on a bundle of attitudes and emotions and practices that God's created? Well, here's the key question for how to live the Christian life. How do you think in such a way that God will be the creator of your thoughts? How do you you feel in such a way that God will be the creator of your feelings? How do you act in such a way that God will be the creator of your actions? How do you put on a new person created by God? I believe the answer is found in verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is the connection between laying off the old and putting on the new. So note very carefully in 22, the old person is corrupted by desires that are fueled and fired by deceit, by lies, right? What the world feeds it. It's absent of truth. When your mind is deceived, you cannot discern good from bad. But notice in verse 24 that the new person is created in righteousness and holiness and is fueled and fired by the truth. You see, right attitudes and emotions and actions are born out of true views of a spiritual reality. Is the renewing of the spirit and the mind is the key to this new life in Christ. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You see, if your attitudes and emotions and practices come from the spirit of a renewed mind, they'll be yours in one sense, but in a deeper sense, they'll be the creation of God in righteousness and holiness. That way you'll be able to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Nevertheless, it's not I, but the grace of God that is in me. It's the Holy Spirit within me. Does the band want to come up? But how do you become renewed in the spirit of your mind? Well, the answer is to fill your mind continually with the truth about spiritual, eternal, and heavenly reality. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, We do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away. Our inner nature is being renewed every day. It's every day we need renewing. It's every day we need to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. How? Because he continues, he says, We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, Paul was renewed in the spirit of his mind, filling his mind with the unseen truths of eternity. So that loud, wicked, deceitful ways of the world was pushed out and it had no power in his life. He says in Colossians, Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. You have died to the old person. Put it off. Fill your mind with the truth of heaven. Have a heavenly perspective on everything we do. How? We get into God's word. It is full of truth. Amen? Every word in there is true. And we fill ourselves with that. We feed on that. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. It's daily feeding on his word. It's being discipled by Jesus and others. It's coming to someone saying, you're further down the road than me. Can you help me along? It's church. We gather and we we come together to encourage one another, to worship together, to hear God's word. It's spiritual disciplines like fasting and prayer and being generous and serving and loving one another. These are the ways that we fill our minds with the truth of the gospel. And here... In Ephesians, Paul prays for us in chapter 1. He says that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would know the hope to which God has called us. And we are the riches of His glorious inheritance. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power? Why does He want us to see these things with the eyes of our hearts? 
Because this is what renews the spirit of our mind when the heart is full of the truth of God's power, promises, and grace. John 8, 31 to 32, Jesus says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It is the truth that renews our mind. If we are disciples of Christ, we will listen to his words. We will follow his words. We will fill our mind with his words. And guess what he promises? That will set us free from the old self. So what does this text teach us today? Put off the old. That's not who you are anymore. Put on the new. Church, put off the old ways. Put on your true identity. Put on truth of who you are in Christ. Because when your mind is filled with the love of Christ and the fullness of God, then the spirit of your mind is renewed and you are freed from the deceit of this world. And out of a renewed mind comes these new attitudes, new emotions, new practices. And they clothe you in righteousness and holiness. And this new person you become is indeed a creation of God himself. And then to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that, it, that this is not a, an improvement program. That we're not trying to, to clean up the sin-stained clothes that we wear. That you have taken them off. That we have died in Christ. And you have clothed us in your righteousness, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you bring conviction of sin? Would you keep bring conviction that we are your sons and daughters, that we have a new identity, that we walk by faith, not by sight? Lord, would you protect us from this world, its lies and deceit? Help us walk in righteousness because we know when we walk in your ways, Jesus, we glorify you and we glorify the Father and we call people into relationship with you. And you might be sitting there and you've never received Jesus Christ. You never knew that He can make you brand new. He doesn't want to just make you better. He wants to, 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 to make you dead to your sin, dead to the old person. He wants to make you a brand new creation. You can simply ask Him. All we need to do is repent and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ that He died for your sins, that He rose again on the third day in victory over sin and death. And he wants to make you brand new. God, bring your Holy Spirit that we would walk with our heads upright in your righteousness and your goodness and your grace for the glory of the Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.